Lisa, great to have you with us today. Thanks so much for joining me. It's been a while since we had one of our balcony conversations, isn't it? It sure has, hasn't it? They were great fun, Michelle. They were probably the best sessions we ever had, don't you think? Yes, I think what we're trying to do today is recreate a moment in time, this is even pre-COVID, isn't it, where Lisa and I worked together on a large public sector client and every Friday morning we'd meet for a coffee, we'd have a chat on the balcony, we'd discuss all things that were just, we've reflected on of the week and sometimes we came up with some really good ideas together as well, didn't we? I think most of the time, wasn't it? Not sometimes, Michelle, I think by the end... By the end of that bean bag session, we were up and ready to go, weren't we? Change the world. We did, we did. So we were writing a book as well, weren't we, at the same time? And honestly, thank you. You were great inspiration, great support to me. And years later, here we are, still talking to each other and bouncing ideas around. So thanks for coming on and being part of Let's Talk. No problem at all. Just wish we were on the bean bags, but maybe another time. Next time, I'm sure. Okay, so we're here today really to talk about digital change and how we enable that. We come from very different parts of that spectrum, but somehow together with our conversations, we've always managed to connect. And I was just thinking about, you know, you and I have reflected about our careers, our long careers. Have you seen and what can you tell us about the change that you've seen over that time about how organisations embrace that technology change? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, over the time I've been in work, as you say, Michelle, is a pretty long time. I've seen a real step change. You know, I've seen a world where we were delivering quite bad tech into organisations and doing the business experience of that badly too. I've then been through an era of starting to deliver really good tech, but just not having that business experience to back it up. And I'm now definitely starting to see green shoots of organisations wanting not to just deliver great tech, but deliver great experiences. And that would probably be the journey I've been on if I think through the different stages. Okay, so good tech, good experiences. At Inform, we always put people first. And when we come into an organisation, we're always thinking about the people and the culture and how we engage with them first. Where do you think... The, the people engagement comes in or the user engagement, you know, users are people. We like to talk about them as people. In a digital transformation, where do you map and see people coming into that process? I mean, for me, it has to be at the very, very beginning. I mean, what I've definitely witnessed with digital transformation is it is all about the person who's going to be accessing the tech Um And to be able to really get to the heart of that person that's going to be accessing it, you have to be in at the very beginning of the conversations and you have to be thinking and shaping the experiences that a team wants to create. And you want to be making sure that you're listening to all of the different characters out there that could be using the tech and make sure that you're thinking about how they're going to adopt it, how they're going to experience it. And also, I think, help help the tech teams, Michelle, embrace that from the start as well so it's interesting you say about the characters i mean do you think that characters can derail digital transformations totally 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 i mean there's some great characters out there we've all seen them i've seen the real hard tech person who's more the architect that just wants to talk about how the tech integrates together how the data flows through the back end they want to dominate those conversations 
And then we've seen maybe that one person who believes that all experiences are exactly the same and let's just deliver a system out into the organisation with that training programme that everyone's going to go on in exactly the way, same fashion and not get outcomes. So definitely the derailers are those that are very tech focused and also those that think there's only one way to deploy tech and it's through training programmes, which is stuck in the 1980s as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think, especially on the last programme that we worked on together, it was really understanding from sort of, I always thought about the customer-facing teams. What did the customer-facing teams need to have to be ready? What did they know about the new technology that was being deployed? And, you know, if they had confidence in it, and if we understood how they worked with their customers, that's how we could bring this new thing and make it fit with their day-to-day lives. I think it's about making that transition easy, yeah? It's got to be easier than what they've got, otherwise people won't move towards that change. And you've got to give them that support through those early days. Remember we talked about early life support, so that you've got a team around them, so they've got any questions that you're there. And that's about the people team, which I come from, but also working and creating those really great, strong relationships with the technical teams as well. It can be done. We've seen evidence of it. We've definitely done it. But it's a challenge. But we've always said it's a bit of fun as well, isn't it? Nothing quite like building up to a big go live and having everything in place. And it, it's it's a bit of a rush. And I, I'm still chasing that rush. I love it. It is. It is. And I remember when we were sitting on the beanbags, Michelle, we were talking about technical readiness and operational readiness mm-hmm. and business readiness. And I think, you know, there's a tendency for tech teams to worry about the technical readiness and the operational readiness of that tech to go live, thinking that that's all the boxes they have to tick to get that go live decision. And what I loved about our conversations is we were talking not about operational readiness, we were talking about business readiness, but we were going further into that experience readiness space and talking about how how you were going to jazz up that experience and make it fun for the end user, the customer, the client of the systems we were delivering and how you were going to inject that that passion in very different ways into the user teams to make that happen and to make sure that conversation was going to be happening in the go-live conversations to make sure we had that experience covered, that business change covered and it wasn't just a conversation about the tech readiness go-live. Yeah. And and we sort of shared those conversations about some of the te- technical team tension and business teams tension and how you were going to overcome some of that with the approaches that you were adopting. And they all paid off for that particular programme, which is fabulous. Yeah, no, it was. It's, it's good to see and be able to stand back and see, you know, we made that happen and that was great. That was a particularly good experience for everyone, really. I mean, just thinking about the future and the pace of change generally, do you think that digital transformations, as you see them in the organisations that you work with, is really keeping pace with technology that's emerging every single day? Yeah, no, definitely. And I think, you know, even if we go to to the, the tech of Teams and Microsoft, and we're all deploying that across our estates, and turning on all the functionality that Teams gives us as we go through COVID, 
you know, we've all witnessed the daily turn on of the team's environment and seeing features appear, new layouts appear. And we're all sort of subscribing to that software as a service. Mm-hmm. And I think what I'm seeing from that digital transformation of our office environment and what, it, what it's made me think about is we're buying that service from Microsoft. Microsoft are developing all of those systems for us. But we need that service wrapper around the adoption and the exploitation to maximize that office capability. And I often find that that's missing, even as with something as simple as Microsoft Office. And again, you know, when we work together on, well, during COVID to maximize and get that adoption of, of Microsoft, I really like the model that you had in Inform because it made us think about how to turn the dial up with that extra wraparound to get the outcomes and the productivity that we needed. Yeah, because often in change programs, we think about we're driving adoption, we're driving adoption, we want people to lean towards and take up this this new thing, this new tool, Teams in that case. And adoption is that sort of first step of the journey. And that's great. And it's good to have people jumping on. And in some cases, especially COVID, everyone just had to jump on. There was no alternative. So adoption was very easy then. I think the next level, as we see it in Inform, is about how do we optimize the use? How do we empower people to use it? And then let's really exploit it. And there's a huge wrapper that's coming from Microsoft as well about how you can exploit the use of Teams as well. And I don't mean that in a derogatory term. I think it's about getting insight and value for the business, but also for people to make life easier, right? We just want an easy life. So those are the steps that we take to ensure that adoption's there, but then you really start to use the tool well and that you don't proliferate it amongst your organization so it becomes unmanageable and people groan and go, oh no, not another team that I've been added to. So there's some of the the enhancements that we are now building with organizations to make, like I say, life easier for people. I mean, what advice do you have for organizations that are trying to get the full value out of the Microsoft products they're paying for? What advice would you give them? I mean, for me, the key advice, Michelle, is to recognise that you're investing significantly in a software package, whether that's Microsoft or any other package, and and recognise that unless you supplement that investment with business change investment to marry up with it, you're not going to get the best out of that software that you're paying for. We're no longer in a world where we're developing our own bespoke systems, We are buying platforms into our organisations and therefore we have to work better at understanding the roadmap of those systems that are coming into our organisations and really work with people like yourselves really to work out where it's going to matter most, where it's going to unlock pain points and how are we going to inform and inspire our people to embrace the software we're bringing in. So, you know, my advice is not to scrimp on the business change and experience size of investment. And of course, you'd expect me to say that I'm talking to you in the informed team and it's what you do for a living or so. But I really think in most programs, it's an underinvested area of change. I think it needs to be based across digital transformation programs more than any other program, because essentially we're all trying to drive self-service 
and we're all trying to drive people to use tech in a way that means you have to read a manual. And that takes a lot more thought in terms of how to promote what you're doing, how to prepare what you're doing. And it's a different type of thought and preparation than what we had all traditionally done. It's not about training courses, especially it's about high impactful social media techniques to grab people's attention. You know, the TikTok world of self-taught PowerPoint Excel is taking off if you're on TikTok. You know, we're all, we all want to learn fast and adopt things quickly. So there's new mediums and new ways to do that. We've got a real opportunity to use the power of the social media phenomenon that, that is, the Instagrams and the TikToks. I mean, how many of us are still thinking about the old-fashioned training package that we roll out, which means you're in a training session for five hours, six hours a day to learn how to use a system? Those days are over. You know, the days of TikTok, instant uh learning, instant acceptance and adoption of things is, is on TikTok and on Instagram. And we all need to look at ways that connect and inspire our audiences to, to know how to use the system through that sort of media. And, and we need to look to creative agencies to do that because yeah. the traditional agencies just are not there. They're still rolling out their training packs, their training material, and, and, you know, TikTok just inspires anyone, doesn't it, surely? So that, that's really interesting that you talk about social media and influencers, because I think that, you know, why do we behave in a way when we get into work and we sort of either sit at our desk at, at, at home or some of us are now going into the office? Why is it perceived that we are we are unable to pick things up in a very short space of time? We're all using our phones every day. And I like to think about that in my campaigns. You know, we talk about champions, but really what we're talking about is where are your social media type influencers inside your building, inside your organization, and leverage the the influence that they have over you, over your audience. For example, I see you as an influencer over me. I like listening to what you say. I I listen to you on 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 LinkedIn, and I I read you at the weekend and catch up on your blog. So it's not just about you know fashion and buying things. It's about how you plant your tomatoes. So I think the key thing. I think the key thing maybe to end on. Yeah. Is, you know, maybe the conclusion of all of this is you know. I'm a massive supporter of operational readiness, business readiness, and experience readiness, mm -hmm. and a massive supporter of making sure teams include investment in what it takes to get the business readiness and experience and readiness up the curve. Yeah, And that I've enjoyed working with you and still enjoy talking to you about how to get the best from teams in this environment. And, you know, the one takeaway of all of this has to be to think creatively about how to adopt tech with the new tools and some of the new ways of working to get the most out of adoption. Mm -hmm. I think for me, Lisa, what I've seen over the past few years is that more and more evidence of building in 
that readiness element to new things, new ways of working, new technology and businesses. It is coming and you can see it emerging. Only just this week, I had a a client come up to me and says, I've got this one million pound business case. We've carved the space out for readiness. And that's just within a short space of working with them. They knew they had another project on the horizon. They started to see some of the work that we're doing and realize that it needs to be brought in right at that business case level. What are you seeing around that that readiness package that needs to be built into these transformations? I am seeing more and more people factor it in. I don't think it's being factored in enough, if I'm honest. I think I'm just starting to see people understand the methods, approaches that, that you talk regularly about, Michelle. So you know, that readiness bar is, as we've said, far bigger than just the tech readiness. It is the experience readiness too. And I think I am seeing signs of that having investment in investment cases. I'm also sort of mindful that it's it's not necessarily just the investment cases that need to embrace it, and some of them are. It's also the operational areas that are going to be receiving the tech, identifying that change network, those enthusiastic early adopters yeah. that can work with the project team and deliver, and to move away from it being a project pushing something into the business to a way that the business can pull from it with early adopters and advocates of the change programme from their perspective. So it's bridging that gap between the programme team and the operational team and having that really early in the programme, not just at the go-live conversation. And I'm yeah. seeing that happening. I've seen that happening. And I saw you do that too, you know, with the, with the team in the business working with the project team. And, and that takes effort on everyone's, on the tech team, it takes effort. It also takes significant effort on the operational team, which I don't often think the operational team is ready to participate. Mm-hmm. So getting the business ready to participate ahead of the business readiness of the system is something that needs to continue to happen and needs to grow more than it is today. And I am starting to see it across many of the programs that I work on. But I'm excited in the 2020s to how that could become the norm and how programs do run, because it has to be. We have to go there. And and that brings us back to that point where I asked you about where do people come into this conversation? And it's not necessarily about me or the agencies or informed team. It's, it, it brings it back to the people. And those operational teams that you talk about, Perhaps they've never thought that they had agency in that conversation, so that they sit back and have it let, you know, this thing done to them, rather than know, then know that they have skin in the game. And that's about that pull, isn't it, that you talk about, rather than those tech teams and program teams pushing things. So, yeah, it's about people, I think. It's about, you know, getting close to the business that was receiving that transformation, that's receiving that change and being part of their conversation and supporting them so that we move the dial from push to pull. Exactly. And we have fun. We have fun, you know, and I think that's the other key thing that I've seen. You know, there are so many different ways that people can have fun on these programmes. And that's, you know, that's when, you know, I sit back and see the multi-millions invested in programmes. I see all the hours of sweat and discussions that happen technically. 
and then I see a program go live and could be a dance squid, could genuinely be a dance squid. But what I get really excited about is when that tech goes live, there's, in, there's excitement, there's encouragement, there's lots of posts going up on the company Yammer site or on the intranet site. And, and people, you can see how it makes the whole team proud yes. of what they're delivering. You know, the IT team are prouder of what they've done. The business team feel they're part of the, the success of the program. Yeah. And, and, and that's what, that's when the magic happens. And, and that doesn't happen without a lot of effort behind, in the background, making that happen. But when it does, it is magic. Yeah, that's the rush I was talking about. I just can't help chase it, and that's what I'm after. Lisa, it's been great having you along to our virtual balcony. Let's try and do it again in person. Great to catch up with you, and love listening to you, and looking out for your next LinkedIn post. Well, you've inspired me, Michelle, today, so there, there is bound to be a LinkedIn blog post related to this conversation, because in the same way that I may have inspired you, you again have inspired me, so thank you. Thanks very much. We'll see you soon. Bye. So at Inform, you know, we believe that culture and behaviour is a massive part of our campaigns. I mean, how do you see, and you've hopefully evidenced some of the work that we do around culture and behaviours, how do you see that as a, as a positive input into a digital transformation? I mean, it's exceptionally positive input, and it's at the core of getting it right, getting that culture and behaviour right. And it, off, it always starts at the top. That, oh, that project sponsor, being prepared to go the extra mile and be more creative and more innovative with the way adoption is going to happen in the organisation. If, if you've got a behaviour and a culture conservative, resistant, traditional, you're not going to have the opportunity to drive some of the more impactful ways of communicating and adopting tech across your organisation. But if you've got a culture and behaviour that's prepared to be creative, to be fun, to be engaging, it makes that adoption aspect of change that much easier. I've seen evidence of what you've done, Michelle, take a resistant conservative culture and encourage them to go out of their comfort zone and be more fun and creative. And we've seen the benefits that that then brings to the, the program and the success it has and the adoption it has. Because you're, you're reaching out to people's emotional instinct rather than their logical instinct when, when you become fun and engaging. So that culture and behaviour is critical. And we, we can be constrained by a culture and behaviour that isn't prepared to be fun and creative. It's always there somewhere, though, isn't it, Lisa? Scratch a bit and you'll find the fun in people. Yeah. Sometimes I just wish it was easier and quicker to find than it has been in the past. But, but you see, once you get there, it does snowball. Yeah. And yeah, that, becomes, that culture and behaviour becomes, what's the phrase when it starts to take off? Infectious. Yeah, 